Welcome to The Freedom Factor. I'm your host, Oliver Bardwell, and today our special guest is an American-born author, mathematician, and professional troublemaker, Dr. James Lindsay. Dr. Lindsay has written several books spanning a range of subjects, including religion, the philosophy of science, and postmodern theory. He is a leading expert on critical race theory, which leads him to reject it completely. He is the founder of New Discourses and one of his books, Cynical Theories, How Activist Scholarships Made Everything About Race, Gender, and Identity, and Why This Harms Everybody, has been translated into more than 15 languages. Today we're going to be discussing Castle, SEL, this exciting legislative session, and his latest book, The Marxification of Education. We're also going to touch on his comments on our own bill here in Iowa, SF85, which calls for the removal of CASEL and surveys from our Department of Education. James, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Glad to be here. So how did you get involved in this battle for our education and for the hearts and minds of our children? I mean, it's kind of funny. I never meant to get involved. Actually, I never meant to get involved in any of this, but I never meant to get involved in the education fight in particular. Um, I mean, this is a very long story if we go back to the beginning of how I got involved in all of this. But um, the, to skip most of the details, which then people always say, well, why did you do that? Uh, back in 2017 and 18, I participated in something that has come to be known as the Grievance Studies Affair. The Grievance Studies Affair was a um, expose that myself and two other academics did together, where we wrote a whole bunch of fake academic articles. We got them in, in feminism, gender studies, race studies, et cetera, and got them published in leading academic journals. And uh, we exposed that, you know, you can literally make it up as long as you are doing the politics, the way that the woke politics, the way they want them done. And you can get papers in substantial academic journals. So that is a you know, that was that was this project we did to expose what we thought was a problem in academic literature that was significant and related to this. And we never intended to go any further. But with what we uncovered doing it, we realized there was a major problem with this, I, the, this whole ideology, what we now call woke, which we didn't call it that then we called it social justice. So that led me to read or to write the book, Cynical Theories with Helen Pluckrose, who did the grievance studies thing with me. And we wrote that book to expose what we found without talking about ourselves. We never mentioned the Grievance Studies papers. We never mentioned what we did. We only talked about the, the things we learned in the process of doing it and exposed further without kind of making fun of it, uh, exposed further what's going on in woke scholarship. And like you said, that book has been, I think it hit 20 languages. I'm not positive. I lost count. Uh, my publisher sent me a thing and said that I got in Lithuanian the other day. Um, so it's in a bunch of languages. It's sold more than a quarter million copies. It's done wonderfully well at getting the word out. And that launched me into taking on this woke battle kind of very head on and becoming something of a voice and a, a figurehead and doing it. And of course, trying to lead at least the scholarly dive to understand what it is we're fighting against. Because my fundamental operating rule is you can't cure something you don't understand. And so I try to provide that base level understanding. And so I did critical race theory. I wrote a book on that called Race Marxism. I did a series of workshops through 2021. And I fig figured I kind of closed the door on my portion of that fight. There's lots to do, but and I can still inform people, but I don't have to keep digging on it. And so what I thought at the beginning of the year, 
2022 was I would survey education. I would do a flyby. Um, before we started, you held up a copy of Isaac Gottesman's book, Critical Turn in Education, which is a proud product of Iowa. And um, I, from Iowa State University, as a matter of fact, and I read that book a couple of times in my research and in my work up to that point. So I wanted to expose that book and what it was doing. My intention was to do what I called a, a Pluto flyby. I don't know if you're you know, a space guy or whatever, but you know they sent that New Horizon probe and it went by, it, to get to Pluto, it had to go so fast. It didn't try to stop. It didn't go into orbit. It just buzzed by, took awesome pictures and left, right? And so I was going to do it with education. I was going to come in and say, here's what's kind of going on in critical theory and education. I was going to spend, my plan was the first six months of 2021 showing it. And it's one of these deals where it's like I opened up a can of worms and it's like the worms have worms and it's just more and more and more disaster happening. And then parents are desperate to understand it. And so it's actually become not quite my primary focus, but I probably spend most of my time dealing with both the practical and the theoretical sides of the education fight now, including the social emotional learning and Castle that you guys are dealing with in, in, in Iowa. And, you know, lots of the other issues, the Frarian pedagogy, as they call it, or critical pedagogy that's in Gottesman's book. I've spent most, probably most of my time for the last almost a year and a half now working in that space, working with parents, trying to communicate to parents and teachers so they can see and understand, again, the same philosophy. If you understand the problem, you can do something about it. And if you don't, maybe you can do something about it. Maybe you can't. If you do, you get it kind of by luck, and maybe you make bad mistakes along the way that are avoidable if you understand it better. So your flyby turned into kind of a semi-stop and take up residence. Yeah, I basically moved in, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, and you know that you mentioned talking to teachers and parents about it. It's it's kind of a hard thing to discuss because on the surface, it's it's shiny, and it, it's like, who doesn't want their kid to become a good human being? You know, right. the, the castle wheel seems pretty benign and pretty uh, benevolent but mm -hmm. and so how do you how do you expose what's underneath the surface when you have those conversations i mean what you have to do is you have to first of all i mean so this is something a long time ago i got involved in a project to write a book about how to have dialogue with people you don't agree with which is a really strange project that i got involved in but one of the things we learned that's right how to have impossible conversations which i wrote with peter bergoshan um, one of the things we learned on the way is that when you're in a conversation that's stuck, that one of the main things you should do is stop and name the dynamic. What's going on? So what you just said is one of the ways to break into that conversation. Look, this is, it's in a shiny box. The box looks great. Nobody's going to deny the box looks great. Let's look inside the box. And then you can start to have this conversation. There's something going on here, you know, in, in car sales, they might call it a bait and switch. Um, in this case, there's, you know, slick marketing, but what's really going on under the hood. And what I, what I'm finding is the way to kind of communicate this to people is that they're telling you, for example, if you look at the castle wheel, the castle five competencies, those are, if I can do them from memory, let's see, self-awareness, self-management, responsible decision-making relationship skills, and social awareness in that order. Okay, so those are the five competencies. Those all sound great. You want your kids to have those, right? But what you have to do when you get under the surface is you say, do you think these activists who very clearly have these agendas and everything else are going to do that in a way that you approve of or a neutral way that they're going to teach, you know, 
responsible decision-making, what do they mean by that? What do they call a responsible decision, right? And they're going to say, is, well, it means taking up the environmental agenda. It means treating people with respect. And what does that mean? Well, doesn't that mean this inclusion and diversity stuff, this critical race theory stuff, this LGBT gender affirming care stuff where we're, you know, we're leading kids down a primrose path, stuff that sounds really good doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing it in a good way. And what we have with social emotional learning is that they have very deliberate lenses through which they interpret those areas. They're not actually teaching your children self-awareness as self-awareness in a kind of a generic sense. They know what they mean by it. And it means to understand who you are in terms of your race, your sex, your gender, and all of these things and become aware of what that means about yourself. And now you're dealing with a different product. So when you open that pretty looking box and you look inside, you say, you know, I didn't think this is what I was going to buy. This isn't actually what I want. The thing that, that you're advertising to me is something that in general sounds good. But when we get in specific and see how you're doing it, that's not acceptable. And if you ask them to do it in a different way, you'll find very quickly that that's that you don't understand and you don't you don't deserve to have a voice and you need to be removed from the table in the discussion. When you talk about these activists and some of the other stuff that they're involved in, can you give a couple of examples of that? I mean, so, I mean, the videos are everywhere now. Project Veritas just busted these guys. You know, we have state after state busting these guys. We have people coming out and saying that we're going to teach critical race theory, even if it's against the law. We're going to make teachers into co-conspirators. Wasn't there just a viral video in Utah where that happened? So we're not talking about a blue. We're not talking about Vermont or California or Washington. We're talking about a Utah, like that's a super conservative state, super religious conservative state. South Carolina had an almost identical expose. Their South Carolina Freedom Caucus went in and they found, talking to one of the consultants leading their state education, they came in and they talked to this lady and she's like, oh yeah, we know it's against the law, so we don't call it critical race theory. So what we're going to do is we're still going to do it anyway. We're going to get some teachers involved who become, in her own words, which is the same word that came up in Utah, co-conspirators who will help us bring it in. And so whether it's the kind of diversity, equity, inclusion, CRT, you know, race-related curriculum or, or, or discussions, whether it's the LGBTQ affirming, I'm going to try to bring up sexuality with your children, here's these books, and then we're going to have, you know, after-school club. We're not going to do it in the classroom necessarily. We're going to open the door, but then there's the, the, the Gender Sexuality Alliance or the Gay Straight Alliance, GSA, it means both. Uh, still, they're transitioning to the Gender Sexuality Alliance. And your kid can go to that and, you know, get affirmed into maybe they aren't the gender they thought they were after they open the door in the classroom. So they have these kinds of programs going on. Then there's what I detail in Marxification of Education, which is where they use the concepts in the curriculum to introduce political conversations. And there's a great example of that, which is um, a word problem from a mathematics uh, lesson for second graders. And this is how actual people were, actual teachers are actually being trained. I got this from a teacher who was being trained in social emotional learning and actually ended up quitting. Actually, she spoke out against it and got fired in the extremely progressive state of Indiana for speaking up about this. And what it was is the question, the, 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 the math problem was so benign. Johnny and his mom and dad are riding in the car together on the way to the amusement park. They've driven the amusement park's 50 miles away. They've driven 30 miles so far. How much further is there to go? Standard second grade subtraction. Nobody's going to sweat about this, right? Wrong. 
the teachers are being trained through this social emotional learning lens to introduce the amusement park and say, well, who's been to an amusement park and who hasn't? Some kids raise their hand and some don't. Well, why do some kids get to go and some kids don't? And then you start having political conversations. Some kids can't afford it. Does that have something to do with race? Do black kids have a harder time affording it? Um, do some people, should your parents be able to decide if you get to go to an amusement park, what the right age is to be able to do that? Is age just a number? And you can start to have all these really subversive political conversations off of amusement park. But you could also have them off of mom and dad. Do all families look like that? And now you're having that conversation and that series of them, um, you know, or environmental conversations. Should we be riding in the car to go have fun? And now you're having those. And the teachers are being trained to turn benign curriculum into that. Then I just heard from Iowan parents after I left this comment from Iowa. So this is happening in Iowa. I had somebody reach out to me and tell me that there's this, and I don't know enough about this to talk about it competently in the specific. But there's a book series that's a very dystopian book, Shadow Children, Shadow People, something like this. Shadow Children, I think, grades three through five. Then the themes in it are very dark. The kids are coming home depressed. They won't eat. They're being weird. It's breaking them down emotionally. It's making them depressed. And it's being taught through the social emotional learning lens that they're giving them this very dark, very heavy material, uh, which is not appropriate for them so that they can then use the social emotional learning excuse to say, well, we have to help them with the emotional responses that they're having to this material. And then they're going to guide them through the right responses. Oh, well, we have to take hunger more seriously because that's a theme in the book. We have to take dying and death. We're talking about talking to seven and eight-year-olds, dying and death more seriously. These are the kinds of things that are happening under the guise of that pretty box. All I mean, and I, I know I just gave like eight examples and that unfortunately only scratches the surface. The entire thing is extraordinarily manipulative, even without the bogus advertising on the outside, which is its own manipulation. It's extremely manipulative. And now we're talking about manipulating children at the level of their emotions, the level of their psychological well-being, at the, at the level of how they form their friendships, understand who they are, their identity formation. It's very manipulative. It's not the thing they're advertising on the box. And it, as you heard, it can be woven into the curriculum, like in the math question. It can be like tucked and hidden in it. It can be the curriculum, like with those books, or it can be issues that get raised and then direct kids into other other avenues, like those after school clubs uh, or diversity training or diversity lessons or whatever. It's Black History Month, so goodness knows they're going to be doing a lot of those. On the excuse, not that we shouldn't teach Black History, it's that we shouldn't use Black History as an excuse to teach radicalism to our children and, and divisive race concepts to our children. And why do you why do you think there's such a push for this? It seems like there's a concerted effort from all sides, from the ALA, from the Superintendents Association, from the um, teachers unions, from you know Castle uh, SEL. It's like it, it, even ASCA, you know, the Association for School Counselors. It's all like this concerted effort. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know for certain if there's some shadowy figure behind the scenes pulling strings and making it be a concerted effort, or if they all just believe the same stuff and talk to each other and see each other on social media and get caught up in their own movement, or some of both, which is probably the correct answer. There's probably a lot of both of those things happening, but they do share the same ideology. And that ideology is that we need to transform the world for social justice, equity, and that means ultimately socialism. and like every other Marxist revolution that's ever happened, 
They understand that it will never work unless they transform the children into activists. Mao Zedong in China knew this and put it into practice better than anybody else ever did. The Soviets didn't figure it out as well as Mao, and we're seeing it happen again here in the United States now. The same tactics, the same identity factors being used, the same revolutionary um, cadres being developed, the same attacks on old culture and family that were being employed. They're just different categories. Mao created categories around communism of identity and used them to push kids into radical activism. And they're using race, gender, sexuality, and so on to push kids into radical activism. And the answer is to your question, why is there such a concerted push? They all believe the same thing, whether that's because they just believe it or because they've been infiltrated or whether because they're being paid to believe it. They all believe the same thing. And that thing is that we must make children into activists to transform the future into a fundamentally different world, which is not what parents are sending their children to school for. They're sending their kids to school to be educated, to be successful in the world that we've built together and the society that we've built together over the last couple hundred or depending on how you track it, thousand years. What is your advice to parents when they're having these dialogues with their school board and with their administration? I'm... My advice to parents when you have those is to, first of all, this is going to be, um, it's not a fun thing to, under, to, to have to say, it, keep your cool, keep your calm. It's very frustrating. Uh, it's not going to do anybody any favors for you to get properly mad or to act that way. You need to get informed. That's the bitter pill. You have to learn some of this stuff. I, you don't have to buy my books. I'm not asking anybody to buy anything I've ever written, to read anything I've ever written, to listen to any podcast. But you're going to have to go find some sources, whether it's the primary sources like I read or whether it's secondary sources like I write or somebody else writes. You're going to have to learn how this stuff works so that you can talk competently around it. But you're also not going to get anywhere with these administrators in all likelihood. The administrative bureaucratic system is set up so that nobody's ever responsible for anything. Somebody above you either made you do it or somebody below you demanded it. And so you were responding to that demand and nobody's ever ultimately responsible. And that's part of how it got to be this way. So what you have to do is you have to start to get informed and get organized. We, we were talking about the Moms for Liberty event. Moms for Liberty is a great organization to get involved with, to take action. Join that. Or if you're a dad, I suppose, support it. Um, I guess you don't get to be mom every day. And so, yeah, Iowans for Freedom, that's another great organization that I've, I've only learned about it today or I would have listed it immediately. You got to get involved. Different states, I know this is an Iowa specific, but different states have these. Iowans for Freedom makes me so happy. Utah has one called Utah Parents United. Um, different states have different things. And if I know this is an Iowa specific show, so there you go. You have an Iowa one. If somebody from somewhere else is listening and you don't have one in your state, go make one. Start making one, start building one out, getting organized like that so you can start taking smart action, which is ultimately probably going to have to be legal action is going to be necessary. But in the meantime, for parents, the most important thing is you're going to have to protect your kids. This is going to be a lot of work. There's another bitter pill for you. There's no way around it. You are going to have to protect your kids, which means you're going to, it's, it should be, let me just level with you. It should be a blessing in disguise. You're going to spend more time with your kids. You're going to get more involved in what they're learning at school. You're going to talk to your kids more. You're going to start getting engaged in the kinds of conversations. You, you, it will be your primary responsibility. It is your primary responsibility to protect your children, to raise your children. And the schools, unfortunately, are not helping you. They are now part of the problem. And so you're going to have to sit down with them and you're going to have to talk through these issues. You're going to have to maybe, if it's for you, it depends. I'm not going to say it's for everybody. Pull them out of schools and educate them yourselves. Um, 
lots of things are going to have to happen. But as far as advice for talking to administrators, the advice is don't lose your cool. You're going to get frustrated because they're not going to be helpful. But if you start to get organized and informed, your arguments become more persuasive and more powerful. Moms for Liberty is flipping school boards all over the country. And all of a sudden, people are, are getting into these positions who will listen to you, who do understand the issues. And so you want to take those steps. Have you explored any other um, programs like the Positivity Project or anything like that? No, unfortunately, I don't usually, I get asked these kinds of questions a lot. I don't usually, people, I got one today. Well, you know, you do a great job criticizing the critical pedagogy. Do you, do you know of any positive, you know, you know, other, other educational models that are, are used? Uh, I don't. I spend almost all my time reading the primary sources of how we got into the mess. That unfortunately turns me primarily into a critic. So I don't have solid recommendations. And that's, again, why I encourage people to get involved in things like Iowans for Freedom, Moms for Liberty, and so on. And the reason is because those become resource sharing depots. Those, when you get networked in and, and, and grouped up with people, you're not just explaining the problem to each other, understanding, providing moral and sometimes financial and sometimes emotional, and sometimes just watching each other's kids support. You're also sharing resources. So when one of you all finds something you know, that is good and you dig into it, then you guys can share it with one another. And eventually somebody, if you aren't sure, gets enough time to be able to poke around and look at it. And there are people I think that are doing that. I know that the Moms for Liberty groups are very active. I assume Iowans for Freedom would be you know, on those kinds of things. I don't personally do that, but uh, that's why I encourage people to network. Um, nobody can do all of this. Nobody can do even a small part of it. It's so big. And when you start working together and pooling resources, that's when you start figuring out, A, how to address the problem, and B, how to help each other and see what solutions are going to start looking like. Yeah, and we, we're doing uh, this week at the Capitol where we interview a legislator every week and talk about bills that are coming up and coming through and breaking down bills for, for Iowa specifically because mm -hmm. that's where our circle of influence is. It's in our local communities and in our state. That's right. How did we get tricked into SEL? I Actually, it's sort of a... It's sort of a, a, a classic fraud. I mean, this was in my comment that I left for the state legislature. Um, it's a little actually more complicated than this. I've I actually, it's only a few days and I've actually learned a little bit more about it, but it's a classic fraud. Um, first of all, just acknowledge again that the packaging looks really good, right? And they've been devising that since 1994. So the packaging around SEL has been building up for, for 20, 30 years, almost 30 years, 29 years now. And what happened, though, is you never heard about it before, maybe unless you were real deep in education circles, you never heard about it at all, probably before 2016, 2015, maybe. And the reason was because Castle and other organizations, as it turns out, um, some organizations we identify as libertarian, as a matter of fact, not just leftist, uh, lobbied very vigorously to get various provisions into a large federal education bill that got passed in 2015 called ESSA, ESSA, Every Student Succeeds Act. And in the ESSA uh, bill, there is a provision that requires, if you, if you, you may remember Common Core, not, not a lot of conservatives are real happy about Common Core. And it required all this paperwork, 
teachers had to file. This is what we're doing to achieve these competencies, get the kids good at math, get the kids good. This is what we're doing. These are the scores, lots of testing, lots of lots of reporting, though, reporting back what you're doing in order to achieve academic mastery, what the teachers are doing. The teachers were being held and the schools were being held very accountable. And on the hook was federal education money. If you didn't do it, you weren't going to get any, which is a huge make or break for a lot of school districts. And so with ESSA, with the Every Student Succeeds Act, they added in a requirement for non-academic competency reporting. So now, in addition to having to report all these academic things, you now have to report on certain non-academic things, maybe like relationship skills, self-awareness, social awareness, et cetera. And Castle already had all the materials put together. They already had the consultants ready to go. And they said, hey, look, this new federal law, if you want to get federal funding because of the Every Student Succeeds Act, you have to have this, this kind of reporting. We have a program. All you have to do, we add our consultants, we'll help you get started. Here's a package. Here's what you do. Just implement social emotional learning. Social emotional learning will satisfy the requirement. Here's how it's got reporting stuff built in. It's ready to go. It's like a package made to fit straight into that requirement that the law that you put into the so, law. So let me get this straight. So they lobbied to get this legislation passed that were, would require the program that they were creating. Well, technically, it is much more open-ended. So it's not quite that blatantly corrupt, but they created a product that would satisfy the requirement. And they also understand that uh, bureaucracies don't change quickly or easily. So once a school adopts something and it dumps maybe tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of dollars into revamping its whole program to be around this thing, they're not going to change that very quickly or easily. We're already doing this. We've already invested in it. We're already walking down the path. We don't know what an alternative looks like. There aren't many alternatives on the market. They had a leap on the market. It's kind of like how Nancy Pelosi does her stock picking. She's amazingly good at it. She kind of knows in advance where the market might go. And here they knew in advance where the education market was going to go. And they prepared the materials to fill the need. Yeah, and we had the co-founder of the Positivity Project present to our school board, and and it's a project based on the 24 character strengths of positive psychology. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have any critical race theory in it or any of the um, gender identity stuff in it, and they don't collect data. But they were That's very reluctant. Big one. Yeah, exactly. And tell us about that data collection. What is that? What are the ramifications? of that for our students and our kids and our families? Um, This is as scary as you could possibly want to hear things. Um, Let me tell you the very simple prosaic uh, front end. The data collection on the front end is a fraud used to justify implementing more SEL. Uh, I call this the SEL cycle. I have a name for the phenomenon. So they survey your kids. This is only one form of data collection that they actually give your kids lots of surveys because they have to know where they are psychologically, socially, right? So they survey them. Some of those are actually psychological batteries where they're actually making a psychological profile of your child to get to know your child very deeply. Like if you went to a psychiatrist and they gave you a 400 question personality inventory, they're not 400 questions at a time. There are a few questions at a time, but over the course of a year, you might have hundreds. But some of these are questions like, how do you feel, you know, do you feel like the teacher is responsive enough to you during the school day, right? And so what they do is they then take that data, the kids 
How many kids are happy with this, right? Or do you feel angry at all during your school day? And it's like, you're dealing with maybe sixth grade girls or something. They're mad every day, right? It's like, everybody's mad all the time. So yeah. Or do you ever feel sad or self-conscious at school? So there's these kinds of questions. They're a little personal. Sometimes they're, they're very, um, you know, does the teacher help you kind of things? What they do is they run that data that they gather through their interpretive lens. And then they say, oh, well, there's a depression problem in the school. So we need more social emotional learning. We need more interventions. The kids are more at risk than we thought. Or they'll run the data and they'll say, well, we, we ran the data do, or how responsive are the teachers? And it looks like black and Latino students said, you know, answered this many points lower than, than white students on average. And so there's obviously a racism problem here in the school. So we need more racial SEL. We also need DEI training and the professional development for teachers. We need to do an anti-racist bias training, unconscious bias, grift, grift, grift. Those are all thousand, multi-thousand dollar training programs. And so the data on the front end, it's very prosaic, classic grift is just used to justify bringing more of their garbage into the school by taking, collecting data in a kind of purposed way, and then misinterpreting the data according to their agenda, and then using their interpretation to justify bringing more crap in. That's one thing. But in the end, the very simple answer is what all the data collection is for is to build out that psychological profile of your child, your psychological and social profile to build a social credit score around your child. It's probably not going to be very easy to convince you to, as an adult to sign up for a social credit system. They have to start working it in underneath you like they did in China. But in the children, they can just build it around you. These are your competencies. You know, you're good at math. You're good at computers. You're good at writing. You need some work on PE and your LGBTQ score is, is through the roof, right? And so they start to build out a profile around you in terms of your psychological and social skills, et cetera. And those are going to be used in, as they call it, the economy of the future to determine, are you competent to go to this college? Are you competent to get this job? And at the end of that dark road, I don't know that it will go that far. It could even be, are you competent enough to be a responsible citizen and leave your house? Those kinds of things lay at the end of the social credit road if left unchecked. And so what they're using it for is to build out a social credit system around your child that when they behave according to the way and think according to the way that the, uh, the activists, the ideologues pushing this think they should, then they get good scores that will be impactful to have their interaction in the world later. In fact, I've seen videos where SEL uh, coordinators are saying that in the future, these competencies will go into a so-called digital backpack with a digital ID attached to the unique child. They'll follow the child from school to school to program to program. Maybe you're getting it at school, but you also, if you sign up for Little League, they're doing that with your kid at Little League too. And what's ultimately going to happen to the, and the, the, the shocking, most shocking thing I'd heard from that is they will be able to use those competencies that they build up as a form of currency to navigate society. And so this becomes extraordinarily concerning. This is an extraordinary not just violation of privacy, but violation of trust. And how did this happen? Under Obama, they changed the FERPA laws, F-E-R-P-A, FERPA, which is kind of a privacy law for kids in educational spaces, so that companies, especially ed tech companies, educational technology companies, any company that can make a claim that that data that they're gathering through these surveys and so on is useful to an educational program that they're trying to build that might get implemented in the school in the future has the ability to, to, to get a hold of that data. 
And in fact, sometimes depending on the school or the district or the state or whatever, they can sell the data to those corporations to build out the program that's going to harvest more of their data in the future because it becomes their their basis for this future currency or whatever schemes they have with it or just to make money off of it. So it's a very potentially dark road. At the least concerning, it's an extraordinary violation of privacy that they're using to get further into your kids' heads to make the so-called social and emotional interventions more effective, which is also scary. Yeah, and that's one of my biggest concerns. I mean, all that data collection, the privacy policies policies around that. Um, and that kind of leads me to, I want to read the end of your comments on our on our bill, and I want to thank you for commenting on it. Um, sure. You said, I will close my comments here with the following appeal. You should do everything you can to remove this dangerous poison. However pretty the box is packaged in from all Iowa schools under your jurisdiction with the greatest haste. To the, to the degree this bill helps in that endeavor, it must be supported. I think that's, I mean, this is so important for people to understand. The social emotional learning sounds great. Looks good if you go to the website and you don't think more than two seconds about what they're actually saying. Luckily, people are much more awake now. And when they see people, you know, when some weird institutional thing is saying, oh, we're going to intervene on children's responsible decision making, people are getting savvy enough to say, well, what do you consider responsible? Because you guys have already violated our trust enough times. But the thing is, is that social emotional learning as it's being delivered to the point where I don't think it can be salvaged um, is poison. It will not help your children. Under Castle, it's implementing what they call transformative social emotional learning, which is designed specifically to raise what they call a critical consciousness. It says that explicitly in their program. Critical consciousness means a Marxist consciousness. They just used a different word for it. That's what that book from Gottesman, their Iowa proud book that we held up a minute ago, a little bit ago. That's what that's about. Um, He, in fact, is the one who urges people to say, we don't call it critical theory. We should call it critical Marxism because that's what it is. That's in that book on like, I think the first or second page. Yeah. And so pretty bold for him to just come out and say that. So, so bold and so close. So this is what's actually happening. And they're quite transparent about it. If you actually read some of the materials and you find out very quickly that it's all activist agendas, it's not actually about helping kids have you know, better lives. It's about helping them become the type of activist that the activists already are. And uh, that's not what our schools are for. And having visited Iowa was prettier, actually, than I thought it would be. I enjoyed, actually, my visit to Iowa. I got to cross the Snake River on foot and check it out. It was really pretty. Well, no, it was the Skunk River. Skunk River, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, it, was, it, was in, it was in Ames. And uh, it doesn't smell bad, uh, but it's, it's, it's pretty. I would hate to see a state like Iowa undermined from within through generational warfare by transforming our children so that they're useless activists like we see in states like California and, and Rhode Island um, and that, that go out into the world and change the world around them to be something that looks kind of like California uh, or Venezuela. Oh, me too. You know, and we, we are the heartland and we have Iowa nice. I mean, people are nice here. They are. You know, I mean, my wife and I travel and we come home and I'm, I'm always grateful to be home. It's just a wonderful place to live. And I, it seems like the castle has uh, infiltrated every school system across the United States. 
Don't they brag about that in their comments? Because you had a castle representative leave a long comment as well on the uh, bill, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they left a big long yeah. comment. And, and what did she say? Because yeah, she said there's something like, "Oh, here it is." Um, was it 99% of individual respondents demonstrated awareness of social emotional learning, with 95% of district respondents having adopted social emotional learning practices? 95% have already adopted this, which is shocking, given that I don't remember ever having a public referendum on the idea that we're going to completely transform education. They just did this to us. They just did it. And 95% of our schools have decided to go in on it. I mean, this is it's outrageous in a country where the people are supposed to be um, the, the sovereigns and that the governance is supposed to be with the consent of the governed. We never gave any consent to this. Absolutely not. Okay, so so say you've had children go through school, as so many have, and and before you know it, you're talking with them, and you realize they've been somewhat indoctrinated by this system. Mm -hmm. What kind of advice do you give to parents about that? How can they handle that? Well, they're in for, unfortunately, a rough ride. What is happening with this is a cult indoctrination, okay? That's very important to understand, because you're not dealing with people who have a few bad ideas. They're not simply confused. They've been brought into a cult. And I've heard so, so many just such horrible horror stories. I was talking with a lady recently telling me a story about a woman for, from Florida whose daughter went off to school in Massachusetts and basically got radicalized, decided her mom was an evil conservative, hates America, thinks her parents are racist, the whole thing, cut off all contact. Mom went up to try to visit physically, went to Massachusetts, got on a plane, flew up, visited knocked on her daughter's door and her daughter was yelling through the door, wouldn't let her in. Do you have a gun? Are you here to kill me? This is the kind of things that they had brainwashed her to believe about her own mother. And when she finally opens the door after about half an hour, her daughter's holding a baseball bat ready to bash her mother. And it didn't. They actually connected and partially reconciled and it fell apart later. But these are the kinds of stories. So you are up against something very powerful you're up against a rough ride if your kids have already been indoctrinated. And you have to appreciate that they have been brought into a cult, which means they have been taught not to trust people at all, and maybe even to hate people and to fear people who might bring them back out of the cult. The only possible way to start doing that is to be very patient, leave a lot of doors open, don't fight, don't challenge, don't argue. I have a, one lady who told me she brought her daughters back, on the other hand, because food is love. So it was bake, 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 cookies, pies, cakes, et cetera. Come over, have tea. Don't talk about anything. Maybe even don't talk. Just let's eat together and I'll see you later. Or I'll drop off a box of cookies. And then slowly they were able to start to build the relationship back. And slowly the right thing hit and she kind of uh, opened her eyes. There's this famous story of another woman, this one from Kansas told me, um, the, where her daughter snapped out of, was getting pulled in this direction and snapped out of it. I don't know if you've ever heard the story where there's a dad and a daughter and they're on the train and the luggage and you know the little girl can't pick it up and dad's like, I'll carry it for you. Some things are just too heavy for you. And it's a very famous story and the way it's written is very good. You're not old enough, right? Let me carry this for you for now so you can carry it for yourself later is the theme. And the daughter ends up 14, 15 years old reading this and it clicked. Oh, mom's not been my enemy. She's been trying to carry things for me that are too heavy for me to carry. So 
constantly kind of connecting with your kids and making sure that they know your intentions are good, leaving a lot of space. And again, just like with dealing with the administrators, um, you're going to have to have a lot of patience. You're going to get hurt. It's nothing easy. You're, you also have to recognize that what's happening is that the schools, whether uh, at the university level or below, are deliberately inducing children or initiating children into a cult. And in that cult, you are one of the threats. And you're going to have to, we all have to. I went to a thing and in, in, I've actually done this in like three different states now where somebody confesses, you know, for whatever reason, they open up and they say something about a family member, usually a daughter or a son who has like renounced the family over all this more, much more often a daughter. And they're sad and they're upset. And um, it happened spontaneously in one and then two further events in other states I've done it asked after it's come up, who else has experienced an immediate family member disowning you? At least one brother, sister, mother, father, child over nothing further away. No cousins, none, no, no second cousins for sure. Just an immediate family member that has broken off from the family and caused a huge fuss over this issue. And it's always more than half. We're all going through this together. It's going to be very hard. Um, I don't have great answers except that patience, open doors, um, don't let yourself become a doormat in the effort to try to maintain an, a, a relationship that becomes cult abusive, but it's hard. It's very hard. The best thing you can do is protect your children while they're younger, make sure they understand, make sure that they understand that if, uh, that, that you are always as parents there for them. But that if the school or somebody at the school starts suggesting, well, maybe your parents don't understand that that's a warning sign and they need to come home and tell you. And that's a conversation that needs to happen immediately. Um, you can't get pulled away. You have, to, you have to teach your kids not to let even trusted authorities like the school pull them away from you. As for when they've already been indoctrinated, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Everybody has a thing that if they're going to get out of it, that's going to make them see through it. But it. I don't know how to be the person who makes the person see the thing. Uh, so you keep your faith and do the best you can. It's not an easy road. There are no good answers. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that idea that you put forth with being open and just being loving and kind and, and not trying not to address those topics and issues is good too. Um, Cause it's difficult when you're talking with one of your children who have, you know, have, who have been kind of brought into that type of thinking. Right. You know, and you mentioned something about uh, being at school and that kind of leads me to this next question I have for you is one of the things I saw at the Capitol the other day when I was speaking on behalf of Bills was this idea of a safe place for kids. And it was just over and over um, you know, one of the reasons why they wanted to be able to keep these ideas from parents or things that are going on in the school from parents was that the parents weren't a safe space for their kids. Yeah. Um, if, if a child came and said, Hey, you know, my, I want to be called Max. I feel like a boy. I want to be him or my pronouns are him or whatever. They want to be able to keep that from parents. That's right. Yeah. So, and my my response was, well, we need to redefine what a safe place is. That's right. They've manipulated the definition of safe. They've turned it upside down in order to make it seem like they are the ones who are keeping children safe from their parents. 
They're turning parents. That's why you have that story I just told with the daughter opening the door with a baseball bat after assuming her mother was there to shoot her. Um, the reason is that they have been they're they're teaching people to fear their parents, that their parents are, you know, going to disown them, that they're racist, that they're sexist, that they're homophobic, that they hate them secretly. And so if you come home, if you go home and tell them, maybe I'm I don't know what gender I am because the school partly helped encourage them to go in that direction with their affirming stuff anyway, that your parents are going to be upset. And then what's going to happen, well, parents would be upset, even if it was a perfectly accepting situation of the child, they're going to be upset that this has happened, that the school did this, it violated their trust. And then they're teaching the children also to misinterpret that uh, being upset so that uh, it gets funneled back into, they have to keep use, the child, they have to keep the child safe from their parents. That's a very, very powerful uh, weapon that they're using against families in this country, against children in this country, and against parents in this country. And it's again, I draw back what we are undergoing in this country is a Maoist style cultural revolution. That, and that's exactly what Mao did. He turned children against their parents, children against their grandparents, and used them as weapons either to transform families to get on board or to find people who would not get on board and round them up or get them in trouble or whatever else. And we see this, you know, Iowa is probably not terribly far down this road, but we see in California where this road goes. They're excitedly encouraging the situation of using child protective services to say that these unsafe parents who are unaccepting and not affirming need to have their children taken away from them and become wards of the state. And we also see the catastrophe, the 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 suicide rates, the trafficking rates. There was just that story in Virginia where they did this to this poor child and CPS got involved and then the child was sex trafficked. These things are horror stories almost beyond our comprehension. Well, can you address that? Um, you know, you talked about suicide rates and that's one of the things we always hear is if you don't affirm and assist, if you don't affirm their gender identity or what they're thinking or feeling or believing or wanting, that they're going to be higher risk for suicide. Right. That's the thing. They tell you, and it's a deliberate and malicious lie that you have to choose between a trans child and a dead child, or you have to choose between a alive trans son and a dead daughter. This, this is not true. There's nothing true about this. The, the fact of the matter is, is that inducing gender dysphoria or having gender dysphoria correlates very high with suicidal ideation and even suicide. I think the rate I just saw the other day is 19 times the baseline, right? And so what the, the correct understanding of this is that they are targeting and in fact creating vulnerable children and then putting parents in an emotional bind, in fact, an emotional extortion to force them to go along with this. And in fact, it's the programs themselves that are harming the children. So as you said, we need to redefine safe. We need to, in fact, get back to a definition of safe that actually means safe. We need to take it back out of their hands because this narrative that they have is extremely powerful, but it's also, like I said, a malicious lie. It completely distorts and inverts the reality of the data or of the circumstances. And what they're offering, even worse, doesn't help. It offers no help to those situations whatsoever. You don't see a, re a reduction in these problems in people who are, are um, affirmed or socially transitioned. You see the problem 
either stay roughly the same or the rates slightly increase. And so this is a malicious lie that needs to be exposed and it needs to put, be put to bed. And people who are putting parents into these extortion rackets uh, to get them to go along with it actually eventually are going to need to be held accountable because what they're doing is, is, is fundamentally evil. Um, it's horrific. But the fact of the matter is that these confusions about gender, about sex, about sexu- sexuality, these very dark and heavy topics that they're, they're pushing into children's lives through social emotional learning programs and, and, and curriculum are making kids depressed and anxious. They're exacerbating depression and anxiety. And then they're manipulating that depression and anxiety to achieve certain ends and then holding the parents hostage up against it. The whole thing is, is, is I, I don't know another word than evil. And it's going to have to be exposed. People are going to have to look at it, get clear on it, be able to articulate it. And we're going to have to fight this thing. We're going to have to make documentaries showing the harms that exposing the lies. There are so many things that are going to have to happen to get the average person to move on this so that we can actually stop this catastrophe uh, as soon as possible. It is a catastrophe. A manufactured catastrophe, as a matter of fact. Exactly. Well, James, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I mean, and I want to thank you for everything you do. The new discourses, um, traveling the world to explore, explore and expose all of this, um, all of these things. I want to ask you a question. This, this podcast is the freedom factor. And I like to ask every guest, what is your freedom factor? And what I mean by that is what is the why that drives you to go and speak and write and do everything you're doing? What is that fuel? What is your freedom factor? You know, I've got, I've had the very great blessing to have realized that, and it's a really kind of a weird story, the thing that led me to believe, to realize this. And it's an upside down story as it turns out, but uh, I got to, I got to experience a pretty free life up until, you know, maybe the last few years, I got to see what that's like. I got to see the blessings of freedom. I got to live that. And I, it means I definitely want that for other people. I don't want to see that taken away. It's, it's tragic to me to see the idea that we're staring when we look at the, you know, maybe millennials, but certainly the, the generation Z and then the children today, the youngers, the younger generations and millennials, that we're looking square in the face at the first generation of young people who undoubtedly are going to have, in, in the United States, we're going to have less freedom than their parents. They're going to have fewer opportunities than their parents, and they might lose their freedom entirely. They might lose, lose their freedom to have lives where they get to pursue their interests, they get to pursue their dreams, they get to pursue businesses if they wish to. And I'm horrified by that. I'm absolutely horrified by that. The blessings of freedom that I've enjoyed, first of all, let me just be selfish. I would like to keep enjoying them. And secondly, um, I don't want to live in a tyranny. I don't. And so if that means I have to make sure nobody else lives in one, so I don't have to, then okay. Uh, But, you know, on a principled front, I know what it's like. I think that every human, I think that the, the, the calling of the human spirit is freedom. I think that whether you come at that from a religious angle or not, when you look at what it is that makes human beings truly have fulfilling experiences, it's not being under somebody else's thumb. And 
I think it's absolutely crucial then that we try to preserve this and we try to give this to our children. And then we try to create circumstances where they're being actually educated and actually raised in a way that enables them to live that life and to preserve that flame for their children and their children after them and their children after them and so on. Um, And so I can't give some kind of like really inspiring thing. Like I wake up every morning and think, I don't know, most of the time in the morning, I don't know where I am. Not just because I'm traveling. I'm just not a morning person. When I start getting frustrated, I remember that. Um, When I start getting tired and worn out, I remember that, that what's at stake is literally, in my opinion, what it, what makes being alive as a human being mean being alive as a human being. It's not even what makes it worth it. It's what it means to be human is that we're, we're able to enjoy, you know, these fundamental liberties that I think that we, we discovered and, and did a huge experiment with in the United States to build a country on the idea that those liberties are the first central thing and everything else will figure it out from there. Um, so th- I think that I-, I know what it, I know what I've had. I know how lucky I am to have had it. And I want everybody else that's, that can possibly be that lucky to be that lucky as well. Thank you. So, and it's a constant battle and we have to maintain it and keep, and keep fighting. That's right. Um, this is this is James's latest book, The Marxification of Education. It's really enlightening. Where can they find you, James? Well, my website is New Discourses, which is at newdiscourses.com. You'll find that I don't just have the book. I have a few, sometimes articles, but I have lots and lots and lots and lots of podcasts. Uh, my podcast is called The New Discourses Podcast. I usually, most of my podcasts frankly, involve me reading directly to you from woke literature and explaining to you what they're actually saying so that you can understand it too. I got frustrated a couple of years ago. (laughs) That's right. Well, I kept telling people, go read this, go read this, go read this. Nobody would read it. And I was like, forget it. I'll read it to you and explain it as I go. And so that's kind of become my brand with my podcast. I do some others where I just talk about ideas, but so it's newdiscourses.com and the new discourses podcast. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm kind of a wild man on social media. I'm at Conceptual James on most of the platforms. Not Facebook. They kicked me off for life, but uh, the rest of them. Yeah, they don't like the truth. Definitely. No, not big fans. I was kicked off of Twitter for life, but Elon bought it and got me back on. Facebook, I'm still, I'm still gone. Oh, well, we'll find you. We'll find you. Well, thanks everyone for joining us. And as James said, liberties are important. So remember our state motto, our liberties we prize and our rights we will maintain, and we will see you next time. So have a blessed day.